Okay, Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala wa masalli wa sallam wa zilu barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Bismillah. So last week we started this book called, we're translating it as the spiritual aphorisms of Ibn Al-Ta'ala. So it's it's called Al-Hikam. Hikam Al-Ata'iyya or Al-Hikam. The Sayyidina Ibn Al-Ta'ala secondary, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Um, we had done like kind of an intro last time about spirituality and where it lands in the overall structure of Islamic studies. And I think we even talked about the word tasawwuf a little bit and kind of some of the um, reservations around the word and just kind of, you know, figuring out where where we fall on all of that. Um, you know, usually, I, I'm I'm a big proponent of looking at the history of how things were done, especially as it relates to Islamic studies. And I don't think that it's an exaggeration to say that the word tasawwuf was not an issue in Islamic studies for the vast majority of Muslim history. I think that's actually true. So. Later on, you know, in the last couple hundred years, there might be some hesitations around the word. But when we find that, then we should look at like, okay, so what did people mean? And why did these responses come up? And oftentimes these kind of like anti-Tasawaf responses came up because of things that were either truly excesses or because of... Um, Things that were perceived as an, as being excess because of uh, I don't know maybe not accepting difference of opinion or whatever it might be, but nonetheless, usually it was a response, some sort of excess, and essentially what we said in the end was that the way of Islamic spirituality is is uh, a way that is very much knowledge based, and it emphasizes obviously practice and experience and all of that kind of stuff but it is knowledge based it does have to have some sort of foundation in the sharia and um and then i mentioned that this book for example is um, like very very widely studied in the in the traditional centers of islamic learning so like it would be very commonly studied in egypt very commonly studied in the maghrib in general um, it will be very commonly studied in Yemen and Sham, all of these places. So, you know, it's not like a unknown work. So we're on number four, inshallah. By very, very, very brief uh, repetition of the first three, basically the first one says that the way to know whether you're depending on your deeds or you're depending on Allah is to look at your response when you make a mistake. Because what he tells us there is that the person who is depending on Allah, when they make a mistake, they get up and they resume. But the person who is depending on their own deeds, their actual i'timad is on their actions, not on Allah. Then when they make a mistake or something goes wrong, they lose hope. Because they had put their, they had put their hope actually in the wrong place. Um, so that was the first one and we talked about that. The second one is was about... Um, like the the relationship between being in the asbab, being in the physical means of the world, and being in tajreed, where you're now freed from the normal responsibilities of everyday life, and kind of like people's responses to either of those situations. 
and recognizing that wherever we are, uh, Allah put us in that particular place and that particular place that we're in has its obligations. So if we're in a position where we have to struggle and strive in the asbab, in the worldly means, then that's what we have to do and that's our obligation. And if Allah removes us from that somehow, you know, and there's so many ways that that could happen, you know, subhanAllah, it's like the world is filled with infinite possibilities, then we're in a situation where we don't have those responsibilities anymore, then that particular place has its own responsibilities of worship and service and so on and so forth. And then just working between those. Um, and then the third one, basically the point of the second one is don't want other than where Allah put you. And if you want other than where Allah put you, then that means that there's some level of not accepting the qadr, not accepting what it is that Allah has put you in, that you that's, that's more important to work on than figuring out how to get into the other situation. Okay, so that's number three. Number four is, uh, actually we didn't do number four. So we go with number four, inshaAllah. قَالَ الْمُصَنِّفُ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَ وَنَفْنَ اللَّهُ وَيَّهُ بِعُلُومِ فِي الدَّارِينَ آمين. أَرِحْ نَفْسَكَ مِنِ التَّدْبِيرِ فَمَا قَامَ بِهِ غَيْرُكَ عَنْكَ لَا تَقُمْ بِهِ لِنَفْسَكَ So one of the things that I had said last week was that uh, we have different levels of reading things. So like if you read something to become to gather some level of like general awareness of it, that's one type of reading. And then you might do another reading of something that the point of that reading is to really do it. You know, so like I'm going to keep this thing in front of me and I'm not going to move on until I do this thing. And th that's, you know, we can do various levels like that. So we're going to go through this and inshallah we finish it over some sort of time. But in our own personal practice, we might not, it might take some time to get through things. So I had said that um, probably like the last 10 years of my life have been spent on the first three. Oh, number three I didn't do. I'm sorry. Number three was um, the no matter how high your aspiration is, there's still qadr. So like, you know, sometimes there's just qadr. doesn't matter what you want, just qadr. So it's again, this relationship between qadr and your deeds and depending on Allah. So I had said that these first three I spent like probably I think I've um, I, I haven't I don't think I've escaped them yet. No, I definitely have not. I definitely have not yet passed number one. <laughs> still, still over here in my life. Uh, I'm still over here in number one, trying to escape number one and number two, and then sometimes number three. I'm talking about like actual living them. Uh, this week I didn't When I was reviewing I didn't mention it Right now when I was going One, two, oh. three That's what I meant um, But in terms of like Living these things I'm, I'm just stuck in the first part And uh, Alhamdulillah It's okay It's okay to be stuck <laughs> Like it's not <laughs> That's what you need to work on Then you work on it You know It's not like It's better than just Taking in a bunch of things And never doing anything about them So I'm, I'm still struggling On these first couple And number four Is also exceptionally difficult for me Number four and number five. I think that um, certain things are inevitably more challenging for different people. And as someone who uh, happens to be half Maimon, I think that number four and number five are, uh, they're, they're never ending challenges, these two. So number four is, which means, uh, 
alleviate yourself from excessive concern. I'm just going to translate it that way and then we're going to have to come back to it. As I said, there's a lot of mustalahat. Like a lot of these words are key, they're technical terms. So we have to go back to them and kind of pick them apart a little bit. But I'm just going to go with excessive concern from now. Uh, for now. Uh, alleviate yourself from excessive concern because uh, that thing that other than you is taking care of it for you, don't take care of it yourself. So, So, someone else is handling it for you. Don't handle. Don't worry about handling it yourself. So, what is it? This is in relationship to one's risk, right? One's sustenance. So, what this is saying is like this: this issue of tadbir. Tadbir, like it's, it's Arabic, is so beautiful and interesting, right? Like tadbir has it's the same word that's used and to reflect over the Quran, tadabbur. It's the same word that's used for turning away from something, idbar. Uh, it's to turn away, like you turned your back to it. So the the meaning of the word kind of has this. The the image that comes to mind for me is like you have something in your hands, and you're turning it over, and you're looking at all of the sides of it, and you're analyzing it, and you're inspecting it, and like everything is being looked at, right? Um, now that's used in the connotation of. Uh, Basically, like understanding that there's a limit, there's a level at which we are supposed to plan in life. Like we're supposed to think about normal consequences and do the things that we're supposed to do and so on and so forth. And then there's a point at which, okay, I've done that and I need to just let go now. And that, that relationship, I think, is really difficult oftentimes for Westerners to handle. Because we're, again, as we talked about last week, very... Like this is the way that it's done and it's organized in this particular way and if I do all of these things and this outcome is going to occur and our whole society is kind of like built that way you know and so what this is saying is that someone else is taking care of your risk for you which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah gives a risk as he wills right to, to creation um, so like don't kill yourself over this do what you're supposed to do and then let it go. Like give yourself a break. Give yourself a break a little bit and you know, do what you're supposed to do, but then after that, don't overdo it. Um, where that line is and figuring that out, oof. You know, may Allah help us. But that's this is the concept. Um, so the other ones like tadabbur, when you're doing tadabbur of the Qur'an, it's y- you're, you're taking it and you're looking at it from the different angles. Now it's different, but tadbir, they use it in, in, in life. Um, there's a famous book actually by the author of the hikam called At-Tanwir fi Isqat al-Tadbir, which is called the, um, it's been translated to, I forget what exactly they called it, but it basically means um, like, I don't know. The illumination in regards to abandoning over planning or something like that. It's like horrible to try to translate these things. But uh, he basically talks about that topic. Uh, how, do I, how do I know these limits? And where do I call, where do I say like, okay, that's enough. Um, he says here, which is good. Uh, let me read the commentary a little bit because the commentary will help us. He says, يَعْنِي أَرِحْ نَفْسَكَ مِنْ تَعَبِ التَّدْبِيرِ الْمُنَافِي لِلْعُبُودِيَةِ 
بأن تقول لو فعلت كذا ما كان كذا فإن الله تعالى دبر الأشياء في سابق علمه وما قام به غيرك عنك لا تقوم به لنفسك فإنك عاجز عن القيام به وأما التدبير المصحوب بالتفويد للعليم الخبير فلا بأس به Okay, so this is the clarification that he gives The, the commentator, Shaykh Abdul Majud al-Shunubi He says, what that means is Give yourself a break from the tadbir That conflicts with your state of being a servant of Allah So it, when, you, when you start thinking that you're Allah Which is basically When you start thinking like I'm going to do all of these things And it's going to go exactly the way I want it to Because I'm the one that controls it Like there's sometimes We don't say it out loud But what's the, what's the subconscious thing Is I'm the one that controls it So if you're the one who controls it Then who are you? <laughs> that means you're Allah, right? <laughs> like you, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue that's going on there So he says Beware of this type of tadbir That's going to conflict with your, with your position as a servant a Servitude or budiya for for example, if you say, "Had I done this and this, it would have it wouldn't be, have been like that." Had I done this and this, it wouldn't have been like that. So you're saying, like, no, actually, that was that was the way that it was going to be. Uh, of course, you can learn. I made a mistake. Maybe I did this wrong. I could have done this better. So on and so forth. But what it is, that's what it was going to be. What it is is what it was going to be. And so, like, don't forget who you who you are and who He is. Subhanahu wa taala. Then he says, because Allah is the one who arranges the affairs in his eternal knowledge. Allah is the one who arranges the affairs in his eternal knowledge. So don't try to handle it yourself. Because you actually are incapable of handling it. Like if you really think you're going to put it on your back and you're going to do it. Man, this is like my week. I'm getting smacked around right now. In the, in the, in the mental realm, there's like a little Jamal. And this hikmah is coming like... <laughs> How many times have you read this thing? <laughs> get the, get it in order. What's wrong with you? You're going to read the same thing over and over and over again? When are you going to figure this thing out? I don't even know what to do. I feel like I shouldn't even teach anymore. We should just like call it a night and drink tea and stuff. Because it's not appropriate to go. <laughs> like It's the same. He says, as for the tadbir that is accompanied with tafweed. So this is what it is. That's really what it comes down to in the end. As for the tadbir that is accompanied with tafweed, then there's no issue. What is tafweed? Tafweed is the verse in the Quran, amri in Allah So I turn my affairs over to Allah. Allah is seeing of His servants. amri. I turn it over. So the tadbir that is accompanied with tafweed, there's no issue, which means what? I'm going to plan everything that I'm going to plan, and I'm going to organize, I'm going to do, and so on and so forth, and I'm going to turn it all over to Allah. I'm truly going to do the process and not the conclusion, which interestingly enough is like the big thing in child education now, right? It's like focus on the process with the children and don't focus on the results and so on and so forth. It makes a lot of sense. Like when you tell a kid, oh, you're so smart. It's really bad messaging. I talked about it before, like you're so smart. So what is that saying to them? There's eventually, Above everyone who has knowledge, there is one who has infinite knowledge. Subhanahu wa taala. So you tell the kid you're so smart, then eventually they're going to meet someone who's smarter than them, and they're going to think they're dumb now. But if you encourage them on the that's that's the that's the consequence, or like that's that's something that they don't really have 
you don't have that much control over. Some people they are just, just like they are. Some things come faster to them than other people. It's not doesn't make them better. Sometimes they're even worse because they get lazy and they get all these other issues, you know. But if you focus on the process, oh, mashallah, you worked really hard on that. Or I like the way that you thought about that and you came up with different options. Like now you're dealing with the process and not the conclusion, right? So what is the dealing with the process and not with the conclusion? That's tadbir with tafweed. So you, you thought about the process and you dealt with the process and I turned over the conclusion. It might work, it might not work, I don't really care. Like the picture came out right, didn't come out right, whatever. As long as you are focusing on the process properly, then whatever happens after that, I turn it over to Allah. Right. This has to be, it's like such a basic teaching, but it's such a foundational teaching to everything in our religion. May Allah help us. It's really hard to teach these things, you know, but I feel like, as I said in the first section, session, that I'm not making any claims to having special knowledge of these things or being able to practice them. But I'm teaching them because they are f foundational concepts for Islamic spirituality. So it's very likely that one of you might not be like familiar with it, but you might hear it and it's like works for you and you're really good and you're able to do it. Alhamdulillah. Then, you know, I might not be able to do it. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> All we can do is try. You, yeah. So... Yeah, well, I'll just keep going even though I don't feel like I should really keep going. I feel like I should just write this thing on my arm and stare at it for the rest of the week. <sighs> well, I guess maybe I should do number five because they're connected, so <laughs> at least we can do two. He says in number five, <laughs> They're really beautiful in the Arabic. The, the translation is hard to do, but... He says, for you to be working hard on that which he has guaranteed for you and taking it easy on that which he has asked from you is an evidence that your insight has been extinguished. Your insight, like your, your true understanding, your inner sight, your insight has been extinguished. Basira. So it's again, it's the same concept, you know. So what happens? What happens generally? It's very common. Is like um, you know, you there's things that Allah has asked us to do, and in the course of trying to obtain that which He has guaranteed us, we abandon those things that He has asked us to do. So He's asked us to pray at particular times. He's asked us to pray, play, um, pay zakat. He's asked us to be charitable. Sadaqah. Sadaqah in general is wajib, by the way. Wajib. It's just not specified. It's, you have to give some sort of sadaqah. It's not specified how much you have to give. Whereas zakat, you have to give, and it's specified how much you have to give, right? Um, uh, dua and dhikr are similar. They're required to do, but you're not told how much you have to do other than kathira. Like, wadhkurullahi kathira. Dhikr and kathira. Make a lot of dhikr. So, uh, in the course of trying to obtain those things that he has already said that he's going to give us, then we neglect those other things that he has asked us to do. Hmm. Hmm. He says, interestingly enough, you know, that the basira, it was 
هي عين في القلب تدرك بها الأمور المعنوية كما أن العين الباصرة تدرك بها الأمور الحسية So he says the basira there's basira and there's basar it's very similar to English basira and basar basar is your outward vision and basira is your inward vision in English we have our sight and we have our insight it's a very similar concept so he says the basira is an is an eye in the heart by which meanings are understood by which meanings are understood just as the eye, the physical eye, is an eye in the body by which physical things are, are recognized and understood. Right? So, and this is like this idea is ex also very central to Islam, that you have an inner heart, and when that inner heart is not functioning properly, it misunderstands things, because that is. Imagine like you had your eyes and you put all kinds of like, you know, you're walking around with a, a blue tint on your eyes. And everyone was like, MashaAllah, look at that tree, it's so nice and green. And you're like, it's not green. The tree's blue, what are you talking about? You're crazy. What are you saying? That's not a green tree, that's a blue tree. Or like you have a red on your eyes or something, you know? And all of those things, you're going to be misunderstanding things. That's why the relationship between the heart and the mind is extremely close in our understanding, right? Is that if, if my heart is not, and actually it's very clear. Like especially for people who are in academy, like academia, when you read things, you're like, man, subhanAllah, you can see the bias this person has and how it totally affected the way that they interpreted all of the information. You know, it's like, um, actually in here, and some things in the translation, you see it. Uh, there's some things in the translation in here sometimes that make it seem like Ibn, uh, Ibn Ata'ala is speaking about Wahdatun Wujud, which is like this concept in spirituality about the oneness of existence you know it's almost like a Jedi type thing but the position of Ahl Sunnah Jama'ah generally is that we don't believe in Wahdatun Wujud we believe in like the, they usually go to like Wahdatun Shuhud which means like the existence is not actually one but you can ex you can have moments where you experience as if it's one like you really truly understand that Allah created everything and everything is just from Allah and so on and so forth you experience it at one while you recognize that there's a creator and there's creation and so on and so forth right but a lot of times what they do in the academy it's becoming it's become it's being fixed a little bit now but historically was like they like Wahdatun Wujud in the realm of Sufism so when they this is considered like a Sufi text so when the Orientalist translates it he's going to see Wahdatun Wujud when it's not there you see so now it's like what are you actually what's actually going on in here and that that's going to affect the way that you perceive things so the the eye of the heart is extremely important may Allah give us clear vision inshallah uh, so if you so he says wa amma idha ijtahada fi talab ar-rizqi al-halal min ghayri taqsir fi al-ibadah fa innahu yadkhulu tahta hadith man bata uh, this is an interesting hadith That's not really very strong But nonetheless um, It says that the person who goes to sleep at night Exhausted from seeking halal income Then they go to sleep forgiven That's what the, the narration says But what he's saying is If you're from the category of people You're working hard But you're not neglecting your other things that Allah has asked you to do, then that's not an issue. The issue is when uh, there's some sort of neglect that occurs in between.
Okay. These two are clear, inshallah. Now he kind of like shifts a little bit, although it seems like it's a shift, but when you sit with it a little bit, you kind of feel that there's a connection. I don't know how to explain it. Maybe it'll be clear for some people. Again, these first set, like 15 or so, they deal with actions and deeds. So number six, he says, لا يكون تأخر أمد العطاء مع الإلحاح في الدعاء موجبا ليأسك فهو ضمن لك الإجابة فيما يختاره لك لا فيما تختاره لنفسك وفي الوقت الذي يريد لا في الوقت الذي تريد It's very beautiful. He says, uh, roughly, Basically, the scenario is sometimes it, it's easier to just explain the scenario. The scenario is you're making dua and you're being persistent in your dua and you're consistent, making dua, making dua, making dua. He says, if that's your situation and the response to it has not come yet, the gift from Allah has not come yet, then don't let, don't let that be a, a reason for which, um, don't let that be a reason for you to begin to despair. Don't let that be a reason for you to despair because he has promised you the answer to your calling and what he chooses for you, not in what you choose for yourself and in the time that he chooses for you, not in the time that you choose. So he's giving you now like an adab of dua. You make dua and he talks a lot about dua and sometimes in ways that it's hard for people to understand. Um, but basically one of the core issues that surfaces over and over again in the way that he talks about dua is, and, and the way that everything comes up here like we said before is that this whole thing is about tawheed it's all about who is Allah and who am I how do I turn everything over to him how do I depend on him alone so on and so forth so when you make dua one of the things that he talks about a lot is in general is that when you make dua you do not do a tahakkum fi dua this is a term that's used in the books. You don't do a tahakkum fi dua A tahakkum fi dua is like, I'm making the dua and I'm the one that's choosing. Like, it's almost like, and again, we wouldn't say it out loud because we have some sort of respect, generally speaking, for like, belief in God. But the subconscious, lisan al-hal, the, the tongue of our insides, is saying, Allah, I wanted you to answer the dua when I wanted you to answer it. Why aren't you doing it the way I want? That's tahakum fi dua, right? Like Allah, I keep asking you, you didn't give me what I wanted. You didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it, Allah. That's tahakum fi dua. So that's like, I'm not actually, because not. And it, he often like splits these things, like we were talking about with tadbir and and like. You have to be careful not to overdo it such that you're not depending, you're not turning your affairs over to Allah. But if you do them, then it's okay. So in dua, you make dua, but you make dua from the spirit of, uh, I'm making dua because Allah asked me to make dua. And because He wants His servants to make dua. And I'm going to ask Him out of my servitude to Him and so on and so forth. Not out of, like, I'm going to make dua as I am the slave and Allah is the master. Not I am the master and Allah is my slave. Which, again, it's like sounds so blasphemous when you say it out loud. But if you think about what you hear a lot in conversation, I've heard endless times when people have come to me and they sat in front of me and they've basically said, I want to be Allah and I want Allah to be my slave and I'm really mad at Him. That's pretty much like what they're saying. If you really think about it, they're saying like, I wanted it to be this way 
And I kept making dua and I kept making dua and I kept making dua and Allah's not answering my dua. Why isn't Allah answering my dua? Well, I mean, you'd kind of have to be Allah in order to know the answer to that. It's not, it's, it's, there's a little bit of an issue there in terms of how we're understanding our Lord. So uh, he says, when you're doing this, but he's just reminding you, right? Like, here's the reminder. The reminder is, you're going to keep making dua and keep making dua and keep making dua and you didn't get the answer you were waiting for. Don't despair. Because he answers his, your dua in what he chooses for you, not in what you choose for yourself. And in the time that he chooses for you, not in the time that you choose for yourself. And like that requires some level of trust, right? Like whatever he's going to choose is better than what I choose, actually. There's probably countless times we've made dua for things that we realize in retrospect, like had that dua been answered, it probably would have been problematic. Like, I might have regretted it if that dua was answered. And then, you know, so there has to be some trust that he is Allah, he is an alim, he knows everything, and then, and, you know, whatever he chooses for us, that's what he chooses for us. So again, this is that relationship between like the deeds and how we think about the deeds, similar to number one in some ways. Okay? Mm. Uh, while at the same time the Prophet ﷺ taught us that it is good to be consistent in dua. Like he said the Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said that Inna uh, dua that Allah loves those who are just they keep making the dua, they keep making the dua, they keep making the dua. But they keep making the dua again from the perspective of servitude, not from the perspective of being the masters of the situation. Okay. Number seven is tied to this as well. Judging by your faces, we're going to have to turn this class into an hour long class instead of an hour and a half. Breathe, breathe. It's going to be all right, inshallah. <laughs> Number seven. لأن لا يكون ذلك قدحا في بصيرتك وإخمادا لنور صريرتك. Okay. Number seven says you have something that you were promised. You know, Allah promises certain things, answers to du'as that. When you're patient, eventually you will overcome. That with with patience there's victory. That with difficulty there's ease. These are things Allah has promised, right? So He's saying, don't let the absence of the promise cause you to doubt the promise itself. Like the promised. Don't let the absence of the promised cause you to doubt the promise. Uh, even if the time for it has come. Because that would that would be like um, a sign that your insight is not aligned, and that the light of your insight, the light of your heart, has been extinguished. Again, it's relating to like I have to put my dependence on Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala uh, more than anything else, even my own opinion, which is really hard, right? That's not really easy, um, and that's why. And and again, I think that sometimes like. You meet people who do this, and especially for people that live in the circumstances we live in, sometimes we just can't understand them. 
because like they're f- they're just they're like why doesn't he just plan that more like couldn't it just be a little bit more planning involved and it wouldn't be as like open ended and like it's intentionally open ended <laughs> because at some level like not completely open ended but it's intentionally a little bit open ended so that like something might change and if Allah wanted that way like they're gonna go that way and you're like it really you know or yeah that's like you just they're with Allah people who are doing that they're just with Allah wherever the wind is blowing whatever the wind of the Qadr is blowing that's where the ship is sailing you know and you like sometimes you can't make sense of it you're like this is, I can't understand these people I could only do the dunya thing <laughs> you know you guys this is good but uh, but he, one of the things he says is that it's possible that you think that that thing that was promised is supposed to have come but there were conditions to it that haven't been fulfilled yet. You just didn't realize they weren't fulfilled yet. Like sometimes Allah is saying something is going to happen. There's certain conditions to it, you know, and they haven't been fulfilled, even though you think that they were. So it's possible that that could be the case. So just like leave it alone. Whatever it is, he says the person who knows God, they're the one who has adab with their Lord. And they're not shook up by like things not happening at the time when they expected them to happen. Right? They just uh, whenever it happens, it happens. They're okay. So now you go like an, another layer deeper into this kind of. He keeps digging you deeper into these issues. Uh, number eight. Number eight is a really beautiful one. It's really, I think, a, a really important and beautiful one for, especially for people who are sick, and especially for people who. Like somehow they're in circumstances that they didn't expect themselves to be in and they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. You know, they're just trying to figure out like, man, how do I manage this now? Because this is not what I was expecting, you know. Um, Or maybe they have to take care of someone who's sick or something. Like there's so many possibilities, right, of something that you could have a particular route in your head and all of a sudden you're in a different place. And you're like, man, how do I function with this now? So... This one is, is really remarkable. He says, إِذَا فَتَحَ لَكَ وَجْهَةً مِنِ التَّعَرُّفِ فَلَا تُبَالِي مَعَهَا إِنْ قَلَّ عَمَلُكَ فَإِنَّهُ مَا فَتَحَهَا لَكَ إِلَّا وَهُوَ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يَتَعَرَّفَ إِلَيْكَ أَلَمْ تَعْلَمْ أَنَّ التَّعَرُّفَ هُوَ مُورِدُهُ عَلَيْكَ وَالْأَعْمَالُ أَنْتَ مُهْدِيهَا إِلَيْكَ وَأَيْنَمَا تُهْدِيهِ yeah, so this needs, like, anyone speak Arabic well? Anyone speak Arabic well? Abdullah? Could you get anything? Are you familiar with this hikmah? Could you get anything from what he has? Some of these. Yeah. yeah, is that this different one? No, it's a reasonable translation, yeah. I think. If he opens the door for you, thereby making himself known, be no need if your deeds do not measure up to this. Yeah. For in truth, he has not opened it for you, but out of a desire to make himself known to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you not know that he is the one who presented the knowledge of himself to you? Whereas you are the one who presented him with deeds. What a difference between what he brings to you and what you present to him. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, what I'm, 
I guess what I was getting at also is that some of these things, like the first time you hear them, you can't make sense of them, even if you speak Arabic. Like, if you were to read this to an Arab, they're not going to get it. You just like there's there's a lot there, so um, so let me break down this translation, which is which is a a very decent translation, mashallah. Um, should I do that or should I read this commentary? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. يعني إذا فتح لك الفتاح أيها المريد وجهة أي وجهة من جهات التعرف وتنك الجهة كالأمراض والبلايا والفاقات فإنها سبب لمعرفة الله تعالى بصفاته كاللطف والقهر وغيرهما. Okay. So he says he's open this. فتح لك وجهة من التعرف. Which basically means like. Allah has opened a window for you guys to get to know each other. He's opened for you a window by which you can get to know each other. And uh, and he is Al-Fattah. And he is the one who opens all things. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that window could be something like sicknesses or difficulties or needs. And all of those things are means by which one comes to know Allah by his attributes. Like gentleness and power and others. So, one of the things, for example, like I'll, subhanAllah, so like the hikam, they're mubarakah. I can't think of a time when I've, I've sit down to read the hikam with people, except that all of the stuff that he's talking about is stuff that I need to fix in my life, or like they're things that I've been. Dealing with over the time that like they're, they're current issues, right? So The book is Mubarak. So what he's saying is like I'll give you a, one time. I was traveling with a person of knowledge and uh, and a person who believed to not only have knowledge but like some very deep profound practice upon that knowledge and um, I told him I wish these things aren't recorded Just be vulnerable I guess um, Told him like Sheikh you know Sometimes I feel so bad Internally That I question whether or not I even believe in God You know we're like sitting in an airport terminal On the floor <laughs> Here in uh, I think it was in LAX um, So I was like you know That's how I feel and one of th- the first thing he said, which he always says, is that you are, w- like the individual is not a judge, a good judge of their own iman. It's the first, th- like you cannot judge your own iman. Just forget it. Don't like the whole, I feel bad, I feel good, I feel like I'm going through a bad time, I feel like I'm going through a good time in your iman. He's like, just leave that. Forget that. Um, you don't know that. And then he said... Um, and then he basically said, like, these things that you feel, they're part of this issue. He didn't, he didn't quote the hikmah, but mashallah. Uh, of getting to know Allah and all of his attributes. So you want to get to know Allah and you want to be the Abdullah. So if you want to be Abdullah, you're going to be Abdul Shakur, which is like, you know, you're the servant of the grateful. You're going to have that. And you're going to have Abdurrahman days, 
where you're like the servant of the merciful. It's wonderful. You're gonna have Abdul Ghafur days where you're the servant of the forgiving. He's like, and then you're gonna have like Abdul Hadi days. You're the servant of the one who guides. And you're gonna have Abdul Mudil days. You know, like you're gonna have days where you are the servant of the one who leads people astray. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you are not going to know that attribute of his until you go through those days. So you want to know Allah and all of his attributes, you're going to experience life and all of its manifestations of those attributes. It's <laughs> like, man, really? <laughs> like, can we just do sifat al-jamal and like move on? Can we just do the attributes of beauty and call it quits? No, you're not going to get to. So he's saying here is he opens for you one of these windows for you to get to know him. And that's the means by which you experience these attributes. So he says in the comments, So that window is the reason by which you get to know Allah by His attributes. These different things. Allah. Astaghfirullah, may Allah forgive us He says in the next part of the commentary The one who's being spoken to right now Is the one who's, who's awake Not the one who's been tied up by the ropes of heedlessness To the point that when these things happen to them All they have is anger So what is he saying? This thing descends upon you This issue descends upon you that thing is a window by which you're supposed to get to know Allah. That's the case if you're awake. But if you're tied up in the ropes of heedlessness, then that's not your response. Your response when you're tied up in the ropes of heedlessness is to be angry about what happened to you. So what's the point? He says, when you're in one of these situations, don't worry about your deeds being less. That's not what's happening here. Alright, so now you're going through like whatever it is. Instead of sicknesses and stuff, let's go with like children. You know, you have children. And children mean that you can never focus on anything ever again for five years until they grow up and they can survive on their own. So in that five years you're not going to be able to do the things like especially if you're the one who's in charge of the child care or you're the one who's part of it whatever it might be like there's things now you're going through something it's not a trial necessarily it's a blessing too mm -hmm. but you're going through a situation that changes your ability to do things and if that's what it is don't focus on the things so what this is saying is like you're going to go through times like that when Allah descends upon you a situation that makes it so that you can't do as much stuff when Allah puts you in that kind of situation don't worry if you're doing less recognize that a window has been opened and he put this upon you so that you guys can get to know each other so you can get to know Allah and what you're and 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 this situation that he's descended upon you to get to know you to see who you really are, right, in that relationship, that's what He gave to you. And what your deeds are, are what you're giving to Him. 
And what's like, how can you compare between what he gives to you and what you give to him? <laughs> it's like this one is really tough. And I think it's really, it also kind of like gets to the point that we are very materialistic when it comes to our deeds. This is why it's in this section again of focusing on deeds. But it's not about the deeds. It's about like, I mean, obviously you do the things that you're supposed to do, but that's not what it's about. It's about what is going on in your heart when you're doing those things. And if you were taken away from the ability to do anything at all, like maybe you're made, maybe you're paralyzed. We know people like that. The only thing they can move is their eyes. Can't do anything else. Entire body is completely paralyzed. The only thing he can move is his eyes. Now what do you have? So only, there's only your heart and your soul in front of Allah. And that's now a whole different relationship. Right? So, and what he's saying is like, that's actually, wow. Like, don't look at it like, you can't do as much. Look at it like, actually now our relationship, me and Allah, like, Allah, me and you now, it's not even about the deeds. It's just like direct what's going on in my heart and I'm putting it in front of you, Allah. And like, I'm trying to know you and this is who I am. And like, it's, it's like a much, much different. Uh, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Is it making sense? Uh, this one is... Uh, Really remarkable. Mm. <coughs> uh, we also know the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that came up yesterday. That mentions that the person who, uh, when they're sick, Allah says to write for them the deeds that they would have done had they been healthy. So you put that in this context too. So forget the deeds. Like whatever you're going to do, you're already getting reward for it. Now it's just me and you. Yeah, it's just me and Allah now. Which is kind of scary, but it's kind of beautiful too, right? Like it's not... Like forget all that stuff. That's not what it's about. Right? Number nine. Tanawat Ajnasul Amal Litanawi Waridatul Ahwal. Tanawat Ajnasul Amal Litanawi Waridatul Ahwal. Which means that, well, it's actually, it could mean there's multiple layers to the things that it can mean, but uh, we'll try to cover two. It means that there's a variation in the types of deeds because there are variations in the ahwal that a person experiences. There are variations in the deeds that can be done because there are variations in the things that a person, the, the hal of the person is what goes on inside of them, right? Um... It's their internal state. So the deeds that one can do are varied because the states are varied. And um, 
there's two ways you could look at this. Number one is, um, as relates to the differences across individuals, and number two is, as relates to the differences within an individual. So if you look at the differences across individuals, basically what we mean by that is that there are people who have certain things facilitated for them in terms of deeds. Like some people, they're really into dua. Some people, they're really into fasting. Some people, they're really into serving people. Some people, they're really into reading Qur'an, whatever it might be, right? There's all kinds of things. That person, you don't neglect the things that you have to do from all of the different areas. But if, if you have a door that Allah has opened for you, you walk through that door. Like, that's my door. This is maybe like, that's what, you, that's, what you're, that's your calling, so to speak, to use kind of like the language of the, uh, the country that we live in. That, that's your calling. Um, and this, this happened with um, Imam Malik. He, he had an incident where this kind of came up with him where a person who was very ascetic and like abandoned the world and so on and so many actually several of Imam Ahmed was very ascetic person like left all of the physical things Abu Hanifa and Malik although they were like people who prayed all night gave immense money and charity and so on and so forth they were also people who wore nice things like Malik used to love to eat bananas he used to like meat like <laughs> Abu Hanifa used to wear really nice clothes he worked that was like his thing he was in textiles right so they weren't, uh, they weren't like shabby necessarily. They, so Manik was sent a letter by this ascetic, and he was told like you know, essentially I'm paraphrasing it. Don't quote me on it, but the meaning of which is essentially the guy told him like, you know, it's really nice this elm thing you're doing, this knowledge thing, but you really should uh, fast more and like pray more in the night and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> like you need to take it easy a little bit. You're a little bit too, too out there with. Uh, you know, the stuff you're doing. And Malik basically responded to him and he told him that the things that Allah has made beloved to his servants are, are a type of rizq. And he gives whatever rizq to whoever he wants. And alhamdulillah, he gave you the rizq that you like these things, to fast and pray and so on and so forth. And he gave me the rizq that I love the knowledge and teaching and spreading knowledge to the people. And alhamdulillah that Allah gave us this and He gave you that and like, khalas, salam. Like it's not, we don't need to make an issue out of it. You know, <laughs> Everyone has their door. And this is I think one of the things that's really important on a community level too. Like yeah, we all are going to strive to fulfill our basic minimums in terms of what the sharia asks us for and so on and so forth. But in the end, like not everyone needs to be a copy of someone else in terms of what their religiosity quote unquote looks like. What their contribution to the community what their contribution to society at large, what it is that they're going to do in life. Like, we don't need a bunch of copies of uh, imams and sheikhs and stuff like that. Like, great. If you want to do that, alhamdulillah, great, study. If you don't want to do that, great, don't do that. Like, you don't have to actually do that. And this is one of the problems, I think, sometimes of our, our discourse is like, we make it seem like everyone needs to become a scholar. No, everyone doesn't need to become a scholar. If you don't want to become a scholar, you want to do something else, great. Learn your basic fad. How do I pray? How do I fast? How do I give charity? How do I purify myself for prayer? Learn your basic aqidah. Who is Allah? Who isn't Allah? What do we not say about Allah? And then go live your life. Alhamdulillah. Like that's all you need to do. Follow the sunnah of the Prophet them. Have good manners, everything else. And do your thing. Go on your path. Do your thing. It's totally fine. Because there's all types of different ahwal. 
all types of different ahwal, all types of different people. Let them do whatever they want, as long as it's within the halal. Um, <coughs> that's number one. Number two is within the person themselves. So within the person themselves, we the same thing happens to us internally. Like there's sometimes when I really, I really feel like fasting. Sometimes when I might really feel like reading the Quran. Sometimes I might really feel like making du'a. Sometimes I might feel like, you know, what I should really be doing right now, according to, uh, like the Sunnah at large, is maybe um, reading Quran or making du'a. Let's use making du'a. Like say you go into the masjid and you know that this time between the adhan and the iqamah is a time when du'a is answered. And I just came into the masjid and I prayed my tahiyyat in masjid and I'm sitting here. And this is a time when it's extra recommended to make du'a. But like I can kind of see that there's this person sitting over there in the corner before that I don't really know that well. And like I should probably go talk to them and just like say salam, say that they're okay, you know, so on and so forth. I'm going to go do that because that's what I really feel like I should do right now. And Okay, alhamdulillah Like that, that Maybe that takes precedence for you in that moment Maybe like generally speaking Reciting Quran is better than making dua But for you dua is more important in that moment It's totally fine So even on a personal level Within the options of deeds that we can do We can do different things at different times And that's why even in like the books of studying We saw in the previous text When you're studying and stuff You can study Like you get bored of one thing You do something else Alhamdulillah Allah gave us a lot of things like I got bored of going to a class. I'm gonna go like call somebody, send them a message, make sure they're okay. You know, I'm, I got bored of uh, checking up on people. I just need to like sit and make dua. Okay, sit and make dua. Like whatever it is, there's alhamdulillah. Allah gave us all these different options, and so the the deeds, the types of deeds are varied because the situations that descend upon the person are varied. You know, we have different things that come up. Mashi, mafhum, understood. It's clear. Alhamdulillah. Number 10. Al-A'mal suwarun qa'ima wa arwahuha wujudu sirrin ikhlasi fiha. So again, it's connected to everything that came before. He says that deeds are like... Uh, how did they translate this one, Sharifa? Uh, actions are lifeless forms. Mm. The presence of an inner reality of sincerity, sirrin ikhlas within them, is what endows them with life-giving spirit. Mm. Nice. So deeds or actions are like lifeless forms. They're like shells. And you put out the, you, you did the thing, it's just a shell. What is it that brings it to life? Gives it, gives it, uh, gives it its essence and its soul and everything else is the secret of sincerity in it. And what is it that, you know, you put the form out. The form doesn't mean anything until you breathe life into the form with, with sincerity. That this is done with truth and with integrity and with honesty and with love for Allah and His Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and so on and so forth. And Subhanallah, uh, you know, you you, I don't want to say you can see this, but sometimes you know, sometimes you might experience uh, seemingly good things and they just feel really hollow because they might actually be hollow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't want to assume like maybe I'm just hollow and I don't feel what they have because I'm hollow. But like it could be that there's actually something missing, or I myself might just be going through the motions, and so everything that I'm feeling it feels meaningless. 
Uh, my wife and I were having this conversation about like this issue of meaning, and like we were sitting there, we're going through, we're going through. It's like, well, in the end, like everything that has to do with the world of meaning has to do with the world of sincerity. This has to do with niyyah. Let's do it like ikhlas and sincerity and why am I doing what I'm doing? If I'm very clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing, then the meaning is clear. Even if it's the most mundane thing. But if I'm not, then I, this is meaningless and I'm not this and that and it's not meaningful anymore and so on and so forth. Because why is it not meaningful? Because it's just a shape. It's just a shell until you breathe ikhlas into it. When you breathe ikhlas into it, then it becomes something totally different. Subhanallah. Mm. Mm. Okay, we'll do it. Number 11. We'll probably go through 12, inshallah. We'll do 11 and 12, and then we'll stop. We'll do, start from 13 next time. Number 11 is Idfin. This is a very important principle. Very important principle. Lost on our generation of human existence. It's very sad. Lost on our generation of human existence. Because, you know, everyone can buy an Instagram ad and become because that which sprouts without having been buried does not bear its fruit. Okay? Bury yourself in the earth of obscurity because that which sprouts without having been buried does not bear its fruit. Does not bear its fruit. So the same. It's like, and we've talked about this before. It's like, you know, call me old school or whatever, but. I don't like these things. May Allah protect us. You know, I don't like the whole marketingization of Islamic work, of uh, the selling of personalities, sponsoring people so that they show up on your screen over and over and over again. That just seems really weird to me. And you know, may Allah protect us. I don't know why people do the things they do. I'm sure they have good reasons for them, but. I just don't really see like where that comes from in our tradition. <laughs> and one of them that comes up a lot, like I'm I have a pretty hard policy on it. Now I'm gonna make it public even though I haven't never really said that openly, is that like my general policy in all of the Islamic work that I've done has been that if someone comes to me and asks to give a lecture, they don't give a lecture. That's my policy. Because that's just not the way things work in our realm of <laughs> Like that's that's just not the way it works. Like if you're speaking on Islam, and you don't understand that you're not supposed to be asking to speak, there's something horribly off. That's just not the way it works here. If we know each other and like we have a standing relationship, and I've said to you like, hey, you know, you should come in sometime, and let's figure out a time, and so on and so forth, and whatever it might be, and whatever, and you and you call and you're like, hey, you know, I have some free time, maybe I can come through. That's totally different. But if it's like, you know. I want to come speak at your place. <laughs> You're like, mm. Alhamdulillah. You know, that's just not 
that's just strange to me. Like that's not really the way things work in the realm of Islamic work and the adab and the uh, of all of these things. So what is he saying? He's saying bury yourself and don't be known. And don't like be trying to put your head out of the ground all the time. Like just sit down there and do what you're supposed to do down there. And when it sprouts, it sprouts. If you rush it, and that's, you know, like gardening and farming and stuff are the most amazing metaphors because they're so incredible and beautiful. Like you have to prepare the earth and you have to make sure the climate's right and this and this and this and this. And you put it in the ground and you do it in a particular way. And if you rush it, it doesn't come out right. Like all kinds of things that happen when you're trying to grow something. And even if you did everything right, it still might not come out right. You know, it's just the way that it is. Like there's so many lessons in trying to grow something that are totally lost on, uh, on people who don't grow anything. Like we're not people who grow anything anymore. Uh, for the most part, some people do, mashallah. Some people's parents still grow things and stuff, but you know, we're detached from that. So he said, like, bury yourself, and if you do not do that, it will never bear fruit properly. It will never bear fruit properly. Um, this is also something that I think gets lost in like the realm of group politics. So sometimes, you know, you're like your group and this other group in the Muslim community. You know, you have like this team and you have that team and this team and that team. And this team wants to win. So now they have like this person on their team that has some charisma or something. So like what matters is not that person. What matters is winning. So I'm going to take this person and put them in this position of like authority and public and have them speak all the time and talk about things and so on and so forth. And, mo it's, and if I destroy them, I destroy them, whatever, you know, like we're just going to win some points for the team along the way. And this is complete madness. You know, what I, is, you know, you stay to the ground, you pay your dues, you do the things that you're supposed to do, don't make claims about yourself. When people start to seek you out because they've heard that someone has some sort of benefit or something, this is a good route to go, a safe route to go. Maybe someone might do something else, Allahu Alam, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They could be sincere. We have a Hasnad done for everyone. Inshallah that they're doing things for the right reason and that good will come from them and everything else that probably will never come from us. But nonetheless, these things are very strange. Uh, Ibn Rahim Ibn Adham, who's one of the early Muslims, uh, some of the quotes in this section are heavy. You think what I'm saying is heavy? You should see the stuff that's being said in the section. Uh, I'm just going to read you one. Ibrahim ibn Adham radiallahu an he said, man ahabba He said, the person who loves popularity, they haven't had sidq with Allah. The person who loves to be known, shuhra, they love to be known. They they haven't they're 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 not truly honest with Allah. Because if you're like what is part of being honest with Allah is to do it not to be known. So if you're trying to be known about it, like that's why I'm saying this issue that it becomes very Troublesome, you know. It's, you're not supposed to be doing things for Allah to be known. Like that's not the point to do all of those things for Allah. So if the whole thing is to be known, then Allah help us. Anyways, twelve. We'll end on this one, inshallah. So it says nothing benefits the heart like isolation by which the person enters into the battlefield of contemplation. This is the way I translate this one. 
makes more sense to me that way. That nothing benefits the heart like isolation by which the person enters the battlefield of contemplation. So Maidan, the Maidan is like you know, like in a battle and then there's there's a square where like the big showdown takes place. That's the Maidan. You're in the square, you know. You're in the ring, so to speak. Uh, so why I think that's an interesting expression from him is he's saying what's going to benefit the heart is to have this time of complete isolation when it can enter now into the ring of contemplation because what happens this is our generation in particular where people we really don't like silence and as it goes further and further people really have a hard time with silence like expose kids to silence now I'm afraid they're going to lose their minds I just tell them, you're going to have half an hour right now, you're not going to do anything, no sound. No sound at all. Just sit here, don't move, no sound. They're going to lose their mind. Like most adults would lose their mind now. Yeah, that's really scary. But why is it? Because when you go into that isolation, when you, when you isolate, what, what's happening? It's not just like you're sitting in nothing. You're going into the battlefield in your head. Like you're entering now into, you're going to go into the realm of contemplation. You have to enter into your head and who knows what's going on in there. So you're going into the battlefield. So don't think just because like you're sitting there silent and you're not doing anything, there's not a war that's going on. <laughs> there's a war that's going on in the head in order to get the heart right. So this is what he says. Like this is a contemplation. You put yourself, you take that time away in order to really deal with the things that need to be dealt with inside. Nothing, and he says nothing's going to benefit the heart like that. And what's I think really interesting about that is that, like, sometimes people will say, like, I just keep doing worship, I keep doing worship, and like, I'm not feeling any benefit because the worship is all those. It's just it didn't actually go into the real meat of the matter. The real meat of the matter is like what's going on in here. And I need to do some work in there. And it's going to require some contemplation, some reflection, some thought, some maybe like facing up against an enemy that I've been trying to avoid inside. You know, there's a lot of things that go on inside. Um, but none of that is possible until you have that moment of silence, that moment of, you know, stepping away. And that's where the heart really benefits. Um, this is a really beautiful one, too. There's there's uh, statements, for example, of Abu Darda. Yeah, it's there's a statement that some people say it's a hadith, but it's also it's not really strong as a hadith. It's attributed to some of the early Muslims, like Abu Darda, the Sahabi, and others, radiAllahu anhum, that says that um, uh, I lost it. Tafakkuru sa'atin khairun min ibadati sabaina sana. That to really reflect for a, a period of time is better than worship for seventy years. I just like take that time out and really like meditate and think and reflect and contemplate and not contemplate like like to really get past the mundane things and get to the heart of the issue. <laughs> Subhanallah, pun pun not intended, although it's a good one. Um, They say that contemplation is one of the uh, four pillars of the spiritual path. Four pillars of the spiritual path. And I'll stomp on this point. 
There's a line of poetry that's quite good, summarizes it. Baytun wilayati qasimat arkanahu sadatuna fihi min al abdali ma bayna samtin wa itizanin daimin wal ju'i wa sahari al nazihi al ghani. So he says that the foundations of the spiritual path according to the masters that have come before us are four. They are to uh, to ha- to maintain silence, or to lessen basically to lessen one's speech, to lessen one's company, to lessen. All of them need some level of commentary so that they don't get misunderstood. But to lessen one's speech, to lessen one's company, to lessen one's food, and to lessen one's sleep. These are the four pillars of spiritual path. When you read in the books of Tazkiyah and stuff, they all say the same thing. Yeah, so you have these four things. Um, this is a beautiful statement of Ahmed ibn Sahil. He says that your enemies are four, and for each of them, he says like, your enemy is this, and its weapon is this, and its answer is this. So your enemy is the dunya, and its weapon is the creation, and its solution is to have uzla, to be to to have this separation. Of some level of separation between one and the world uh, And then the other enemy is shaitan And his weapon is to eat too much And and the way that you fight that is to limit your food And your other enemy is your nafs or Your base self And his weapon is to get you to sleep all the time And the way to deal with that is to lessen your sleep And the last of your enemies is, your, is, is not your nafs but your hawa Your desires and its and its its weapon is speech, and its response is to assume silence. So it's the same four again, right? Um, to assume silence doesn't mean you can never talk; it just means to limit your speech unless it's necessary. To be away from the people doesn't mean that you should just like go live in a hermitage, but it means that you have time alone and you have time with people, and each of them has their intention. And even with your even if when you're with people, you're you're still with Allah. You know, so they say that uh, uh, a Sufi cat in Batin, that the the person who's a, a Sufi, person who is like you know trying to put effort into this whole thing, uh, they are with the like even when they're with the people, they're apart from the people in a sense because they're with Allah. So they're amongst the people, but they're with Allah. So that's that's the Sunnah actually. You're with the people. But you're with Allah in reality. In, in physical reality, you're with the people. In spiritual reality, you're with Allah. <laughs> this is, that's the uzla. So that's to be away. And then, you know, to lessen your food, to lessen your sleep, so on. Allah give us tawfiq. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sallam. Sallallahu alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Subhanakum bihamdulillahi wa sallam. Any questions or anything? <laughs>